the question, what child is this? And then, of course, we sang the answer, this is Christ the King. And then we got to sing another answer. He is the wonderful, merciful Savior. And he is the Savior, of course, who brings us peace. And uh, that's what we're going to focus on uh, this morning on Christmas Sunday is Advent brings peace. Of course, we've seen hope. And the candle of hope is getting a little bit short, so hopefully it doesn't burn out. Uh, hope, love, joy, and peace. And uh, going back to hope for just a minute where we started, and uh, I keep talking about hope. Maybe it's because I didn't get to preach on that Sunday, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to fit it in uh, in these subsequent Sundays. But hope, in, in one sense, could be summed up as expectation. And uh, we haven't really looked at this yet, and we're not going to focus on it today. But one of my favorite passages in the Christmas narrative is the story of Simeon. And I want to read that from Luke 2, verses 25 and following. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the spirit, uh, in the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents, that is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, now your servant may depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light or that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Here was Simeon, a righteous man, scripture says, a devout man, a faithful man, uh, no doubt an older man, day in, day out, in the temple, in Jerusalem, and he's waiting, he's expecting, uh, he's hoping. And he had a great deal of hope, too, and a great reason to hope, because he was privileged with a revelation from God's Holy Spirit that he would not die until he would see the Lord's Christ, or specifically, the Messiah. He was waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Christ, and, and also waiting, the, the verse says, for the consolation of Israel. Now, that is not a, a constellation, as in a, a group of stars, but rather a consolation or comfort. And for good reason, because even just politically at that time in Israel, there was much unrest. There were wars and uprisings. Uh, there was the, the takeover by the Roman government, and then there were counterinsurgencies by the zealots. There was perhaps most notably at that time, Herod the Great. And uh, we see a little glimpse of, of who he was in the story of the wise men when he was faced with this news of the newborn king of the Jews, and he decided to have every boy in that region that was newborn killed. So that tells us a little bit about Herod and that time of political rule in Israel. So surely we could say there wasn't a lot of comfort or consolation at that time. And that idea of comfort is closely related to another theme, which is our theme for today, and that is peace peace. In Hebrew, you've heard it, it's shalom. It's a greeting, it's a prayer, it's, it's a hope to be well, to be complete, to be whole. It's sort of the opposite of, of chaos or calamity or unrest. 
It's sort of a, a, a hearkening back to the original created state where God said all was good and where all were dwelling in harmony with no bloodshed, no death, and no decay. And that peace, of course, is as much outward, but it's also inward. As much as lack of peace can be seen, could be seen in Simeon's day, and can be seen today in the physical world, in the political world, in the, the world before our eyes, we also experience lack of peace or unrest within us. So back to Simeon for a moment. He knew what it was like to experience unrest in all of these ways. But he was hoping and waiting and longing for the comfort of Israel. And one day, he saw it. He finally saw it. That unique and, and glorious scene when Joseph and Mary brought uh, the, the little baby Jesus into the temple, and this old man comes up to them and takes the child into his, to his arms and, and starts to exclaim, probably starts to sing these words that we read, and uh, if you think about, if you had a newborn baby, Scott has a newborn baby, if you brought them into a public place and someone you didn't know just randomly came and grabbed your child and started singing, you'd have probably some mixed emotions, mostly confusions, maybe fear, anger. I don't know what they felt like, but here, Simeon had seen what his soul had been longing for. And it was wrapped up in the flesh of a little baby. And what does he say? He says, now you are letting, speaking to the Lord in prayer, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, I can die now. I can go. My, my time here has come to a joyful end because I have seen the shalom. I have seen the peace that I've been wishing on others, hoping for myself and praying for Israel all these years. Now I can depart in peace. Peace is a great Christmas theme. It's a great Advent theme, and it's a great theme for life because it's something that almost everybody desires in one way or another. Everyone desires for their world, their lives, their minds, their relationships, their emotions to be at rest, to be well-ordered instead of chaotic, to be not in fear, not in dread. And we don't know a world that is totally at peace. But what about inner peace? What about the kind of peace that, that Simeon obviously had? Surely in that moment, the world had not changed yet. But still, he could say, I can depart in peace. What kind of peace had he found, had he experienced, had he seen in the Christ child? What about that kind of peace? Can we have it? Can we know it? And what would it do if we did have it? And if we did know it, we also read about the shepherds and the announcements made to them. And after that announcement, that great angelic host cried out glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And of course, as we read at the beginning of this service, that great prophecy, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what about that peace? Well, today, uh, I want to look at peace in the sense that it is a reality that we can experience. 
And I want to look at it in the sense that it is brought to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Once we have this kind of peace, it will affect the rest of our lives. It will affect our relationships. It will affect our world. But we must first know that it is real, it is available, and it has come to us because of Jesus. And uh, our passage for today is one of the major places where we learn about this piece, and that is Romans chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read the first five verses. And uh, while we're reading down through this, look at what else we might spot also in this passage that has to do with our Advent themes as well. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Did you see it there? Peace, of course, in the first verse. But did you also see hope, love, and rejoicing? All of these great themes that we take for Advent are not relegated to simply Christmas time or Christmas carols or Christmas greetings. They are part of our present belonging to and our reality as those who are in Christ Jesus by faith because of what he's done. Hope, love, rejoicing, peace, all because of Christ and all by faith. So here's, uh, here's a big picture for this morning as we look at this passage. Peace, along with all the other blessings of Advent, is a present reality because Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Before we continue in this passage, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show us these things. May this passage in Romans today not, not be something just to puff up our mind with, with knowledge, but may it be something that affects our thinking, our actions, our heart. May it affect the way that we look at our relationship with you, O oh God, and may it affect also our walk amongst others, among our brothers and sisters, among our families and friends. May it sort of shape our lives to see all that has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, what we can gain access into by faith because of his shed blood. Lord, we have been changed by this truth, those of us who believe, but we must continually be changed, Lord. I pray for that change, even in my heart, even now. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage today, uh, we're going to see it in a, a couple different sections. First, and sort of the main theme, is peace with God. Peace with God. And uh, we have spoken of many different kinds of peace already. Uh, of course, inner peace, world peace, political peace, emotional peace, all of these things are connected. They're all similar, slightly different, but there is 
one peace that comes through faith, as this passage tells us, in Jesus Christ, that is, I believe, foundational to all these things. And that is peace with God. This statement by Paul is, is powerful. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read that, we have peace with God. That can be said or it can be translated really in two different ways. Neither one are wrong and they're both helpful. So I want to look at both of them. The first is, is just how we've read it. It may be like this in your translation as well. It says we have peace with God. That is peace with God is a present possession. That is we who were once enemies... We who were once alienated, as Paul says later in this passage and in other places as well, we have peace with God because of faith in Jesus Christ. That is no more hostility, uh, no more fear or reper repercussion, no more enmity, no more worry about our standing before the judge. Think of it this way. It's one thing to stand before a judge innocent and hope that the verdict affirms what you know, that you're innocent. It's another thing entirely to stand before a judge guilty, knowing that whatever sentencing you receive, you deserve it. But it's an entirely different thing to be taken from that place and pronounced free, pronounced innocent, pronounced clean, that is a wonderful thing, and that is what Paul is declaring here, that we have peace with God. It is a present reality. It is a statement, but another way that this could be read or, or translated is this. Let us be at peace with God. Now, that's more experiential than it is abstract. Knowing that we have peace with God, we could say, let us live that way. Let us think that way. Let us live before God and others as those who have been made righteous before the God of all the universe. This is peace both in knowledge and experience because of Christ. We see firstly it's through faith. It says in verse 1 again, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins this chapter, as we have it here, with a, with a clause, uh, a causality. Uh, or in other words, because you have this, then this is true. Or because of this, you have that. And he says, since you have been justified, or because you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. That's where the rubber meets the road in our experience with Christ's blessings. They come down to us first and foremost by faith. In the previous chapter, in Romans chapter 4, uh, Paul speaks in the whole chapter of Abraham. And his whole argument is coming from the story of Abraham. Specifically, he speaks of the promise to Abraham that he would have a son and become the father of many nations. Now, we can't read the whole chapter, uh, but we will read a few verses. Look back to verse number 20 in chapter 4. Speaking of Abraham, in this promise that he would have a son in his old age, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, 
fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see that? Abraham is a prime example and a touchstone of being justified by faith. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, and we read that it was not for his benefit alone that, that, is, that this is written, but for ours also. We who believe in the one who raised Jesus from the dead receive the benefits of his saving work by faith because he was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. It is by faith that we are justified in the sight of God. Paul says that a little bit later. And it is by faith that we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as James says, faith without works is dead, which is absolutely true. A saving faith is a living faith. It's an active faith. But the opposite is also true. Works without faith are also dead. No deeds of righteousness that are apart from faith in God through Lord Je our Lord Jesus Christ can bring us this peace either. We must have faith, a living faith, but yes, we must have faith. So it's through faith, and also we see it's in grace. Look at verse number two in Romans 5. Through him, that is through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We also see here that by faith, we receive the grace that we stand in. Now, grace means favor. It means uh, help concerning salvation. It's that unmerited favor. But it also can mean, as I said, help. And here with the concept of access, we think of that idea, access into this grace, access into this favor, into this standing. That standing, of course, is, is that we're just before God. And our relationship with God, our peace with God, is a grace that we have access into by faith. And one of the major benefits, as I think about this, of having that peace with God and that access to him is access by the way of prayer. Think of what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is one of the ways where peace with God as a reality, as a, as a present experience, should shape the way that we live. Because of the peace that we have received by faith, we have access to God himself. We can approach his throne, the scripture says, with confidence. Now, it's, it's not bullheadedness. It's not cockiness. There must be humility and meekness, just as there is in Jesus Christ. But there is confidence to go before his throne. Our good standing with God because of Jesus Christ 
goes before us, as it were, as we approach God's throne. As we come to his feet, we're received as one of his children, one of his sons. As we speak to him, he hears us as one of his own. There's no question of whether he will turn his face away from us because of Christ and by faith. We have access into this grace in which we stand. It's through faith, in grace, and it's also with joy. The end of verse number two says, in this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All of this is cause for rejoicing. Now, as you look in your uh, particular translation, you may have a different word. You might have the word uh, exult, uh, E-X-U-L-T, and that is a, a kind of joy. It's a different word for rejoicing. To rejoice in this way or to exalt in this way is to express a, a, an unusually high degree of confidence or of expectation in something. And what is being exalted or rejoiced over here, it's hope of the glory of God. Now, that's a little bit of a confusing phrase, and I won't stand here and tell you that I completely understand exactly what that means. But maybe one aspect will be helpful this morning. What is being hoped for in the glory of God? Is it referring to the eternal hope, uh, hope of eternal life? Is it is it hope that we will see the glory of God? Is it hope that we will experience or receive in some sense the glory of God? It may be all of those things in one way or the other, but one thing I think we can point out is this. In terms of our new standing, our new relationship, as before we were enemies of God, we didn't have the hope or joy exulting in God's glory. Think of it. Think of being a sworn enemy of a king or of a ruler. Whenever you saw his sign, his signet, his flag, his, his entourage, his palace, his decree, there would be maybe resentment, maybe fear, maybe the feeling of a need to hide or even lash out in anger. But if there was peace in that relationship, all of those feelings of fear or resentment would be gone. Then, when you saw that king's flag, his signet, his palace, his decrees, his majesty, instead of fearing or lashing out, you could instead rejoice or hope. And so it is with God, our great king. We can rejoice and exalt in his glory and have great hope because of the peace that we have with him. There's no need to fear condemnation or reprisal, rather we can hope and rejoice in the glory of God. So this great peace with God, it speaks so much into our life, which is why the second half of this passage is really just that. It's, it's peace in life, peace in life. As we come to verse number three, the direction of the passage changes a little bit. Uh, everything that follows is still based with that on the same things, peace with God by justification through faith in Christ, but the effects begin to branch out into life. This is one of those way, places where you don't want to just have your theology in your head. It never extends to your hands and feet. Here it does just that. Look at verse number three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We'll read on 
in a moment. Seems over the last couple of weeks in my study and in uh, in the sermons that we have seen the theme of suffering come out uh, a few times, and I I haven't been trying to choose passages that deal with suffering on purpose. They've sort of come naturally in looking at these themes, and I don't have a specific reason why. I, I'm not thinking of somebody in the room who's specifically suffering right now, but as I studied and prepared this week, and as we came, I came to this passage, part of my prayer to the Lord was that whoever may be in a season of suffering may experience these Advent blessings in a real sense. Hope, love, joy, and peace are all things that often seem fleeting in times of suffering. But the coming of Christ brings all of these things in suffering, and it brings them to suffering people. They are real, and they can be real for you also. So we see peace in life. And uh, first, we continue with that theme of, of exalting or rejoicing. And it says, again, verse 3, not only that. So we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, uh, but not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. We read this last week, but it's so fitting here that we have to read it again. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says suffering produces steadfastness. Paul here says uh, that suffering uh, produces endurance. And uh, sometimes James and Paul are pit against one another in arguments. Now, I don't recommend that. There's no reason to do that. There are two men with the same source, the same Savior, the same truth. And here they both make the exact same point, and that is this. Suffering in our lives is valuable, and it does something. It produces something. Now, this ties directly into peace because one of the major facets of peace is order rather than chaos, and one way to have peace and suffering is to know that suffering is not necessarily chaotic. It doesn't have to be meaningless or empty. Rather, it can be ordered and purposeful. Now, that's difficult to think about it. But Paul says that we may rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's something else big here, I think, too. Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, here's one reason. Peace with God is a major reason why we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings are not condemnation from God's hand. We know, if anything, they are tools for our growth, tools for our sanctification. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we have peace with God. We know that his will in our suffering is not for us to utterly despair or to lose faith in him. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, Paul says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, suffering is not God trying to do away with us. It's not, it's not 
uh, ultimate punishment from God's hand because of condemnation. Rather, again, it's a tool for our sanctification. And in this sense, peace with God makes room for all other kinds of peace. In an experiential sense, it makes room for peace because we know that these things are ordained by God. He is working even the difficult things for our good and for his glory. And it makes, uh, it makes room for peace in a practical sense as well. Because if we know that we are at peace with God, we can undertake the work that he's given us to do as peacemakers and at living at peace with others as well. And we can rejoice and exult in our sufferings and have peace in our sufferings and in our whole life because that suffering is doing something. It's going somewhere. And what is it doing? Well, Paul says it's producing endurance. Uh, it produces endurance or steadfastness. That's what James says, which that ties back into our theme of joy last week when we saw Jesus himself in Hebrews 12 endured the suffering for the joy that was set before him. Suffering produces steadfastness or patience. And in, back in James, we're told to let that patience have its perfect work that we might be complete or entire, lacking nothing. And I don't think Paul would disagree with that, but Paul goes on to give us even a few more links on the chain. Uh, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And verse 4, endurance produces character or genuineness. That word it gives the idea of something being tried or tested and being proven as real. And there's an interesting word picture there. Uh, in Roman times, when, when coins were struck by the die or when they were pressed by the die, they wouldn't all end up as equal weights. Or sometimes they would even have uh, misshapen edges and, and crude edges, rough, rough surfaces, a little extra material here and there. Well, the more inventive uh, people learned that they could shave little bits of, of precious metal off of those coins and use them as payment but they would slowly collect these little shavings and then turn them in eventually. Well, that would be done over and over again until eventually a coin would have to be weighed uh, to see if it was real because they would eventually end up weighing far less than they were supposed to. The coins would have to be examined by their weight and proven to be valid. And uh, that's the word here that Paul uses for endurance producing character. That is, there's a sense in which our experience, our suffering, seeing God's peace in our life, in sufferings, in endurance, seeing all that working out through those things, it proves our faith. As we experience peace with God worked out in these day-to-day -day struggles, our faith is being weighed not really before God. He knows all things. It's being weighed even before our very eyes. And God is doing his proving work in us and through us. And it's odd to think that trials and hardships in life can be reassuring, but they absolutely can be. If you've ever had the opportunity to walk with someone at the end of their life, particularly a person that's a believer, you might have had a front row experience to see this kind of reassurance. Often, 
The saints that are the most confident and joyful in their faith are the ones that are nearing the end of their race, nearing the end of their journey. A lifetime of trials coupled with peace with God and the grace of access by faith has strengthened them to the point of great confidence. Dear ones, we often think of suffering, especially dying, as something to fear, something to avoid, something to be hidden and out of sight. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, death is simply that final trial that builds confidence and assurance in our faithful Savior. The prospect of death is no real enemy to those who are in Christ Jesus, for it's simply the end of our race the race which we're seeking to finish with faith and with joy. And the peace that awaits us is the peace with God that has championed us and led us along all the way through. Finally, we see this peace in life is hoping. Endurance produces character, verse 4. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One way to express this kind of peace in suffering, even peace in dying, all of us will have to face that if the Lord tarries, is hope. Yes, we have great hope. And that's sort of the next link on this chain that Paul gives us of of suffering, producing things. It produces endurance. Endurance produces character or testing, and that testing produces hope. There's a, a, a song that's been around for a number of years. Occasionally you hear it on the, on the radio, and it's a little bit of an older song, but it says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. And in one sense, that song bothers me because Certainly God can't grow any sweeter and his love can't become any greater. And that's true. Uh, God doesn't get better. He is who he is. But from our perspective, from the perspective of experience, there is a sense in which we can see and experience more of his sweetness, more of his love. And that's what verses three to five in one sense are about. We do have more hope the longer that we walk with him, not because God has become better, but because our hope in him has grown. Think of Simeon again, waiting and hoping, seeking that peace and that consolation. His endurance, we could say, produced character, and his character all the way up to the end produced hope, and that hope was realized in that infant, Jesus Christ, to the point where he could say, even though he hadn't seen anything that Jesus had done yet, even though he hadn't seen any change in the political atmosphere, any change in, in the life of his people, he could say, because of his hope in the Messiah, now I can depart in peace. And we too have this hope as we wait, as we walk, as we serve the Lord, and it's not hope in hope, it's not hope against all odds. It's hope that is backed by something tremendous. Uh, even what Paul says in verse number five, our hope does not put us to shame, he says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
There it is. We've seen all of the Advent blessings in this passage. Hope, joy, peace, and love. And love, Paul says, is shed abroad. It's, it's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's why our hope doesn't put us to shame, because we have a security in God's love. It's God's love displayed in the person of Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection, and it's given as a gift or a deposit into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That is, all the while that we walk by faith, through trials, through suffering, through hardship, through testing, we grow in endurance and character and hope because the Holy Spirit has poured God's love into our hearts. Now, we keep going back to Simeon. I said it's one of my favorite stories in the Christmas narrative. But what was Simeon waiting for? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, that word for, for consolation is, is paraclesis. Now, hold on to that for a second. Because what does Jesus call the Holy Spirit in John 14? He calls him the, the helper or the comforter, which is the paraclete. It's from that same word. The Holy Spirit, in our case, is our comforter, our consoler. And he applies God's love in our hearts day by day, which proves to us constantly that our hope is not hopeless. For what is wrapped up in God's love? It is the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see how all of these blessings, hope, love, joy, peace, how they all have wonderful meaning for our lives constantly? They're not just ideals. They're not just greetings that we can give, and they're not just abstract concepts. They are things that we have and can experience, things that have been purchased and given to us and are applied to our lives, things that we can know walk in and grow in because of Jesus Christ and by faith in him. Which means you, dear one, can know and experience the hope, love, joy, and peace of God in your life. Why? Because of Christ. If you trust him by faith, believe on him, walk with him, the one who is crucified for your trespasses and raised for your new life, raised for your justification, by faith, walk and live in the peace of God that we can experience in no other way except through him. Peace, along with all the other blessings of Advent, is a present reality because Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's a lot here, Lord, and I, I truly pray it would not just go to our heads as information, but it would come into our hearts and through our lives as, as knowledge and experience of what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing hope, for bringing love, for bringing joy, and for bringing peace. Peace with God, which we never could have earned, 
which leads and extends into and, and gives us the ability to work for peace in all other areas as well. You are our peace. You have made a way for us to be redeemed. You have paid for our sins. You have, you have uh, been delivered up for our sin and, and raised for our justification, Lord. Thank you for this promise. This Christmas season, may we know these things because of what you've done. By faith, may we walk in them each day and live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.